John's Gospel, chapter 10 this morning. No one who has access to the scriptures has an excuse not to understand who Jesus Christ is. The Apostle John has made it very clear from the very first chapter of his writing that he is the living word of God who came into the world to enlighten us to spiritual truth and provide for us the way of access to God. One way that John made clear who Jesus is was by revealing certain self-descriptions that Jesus used. All of these are introduced with the term I am in the Greek ego eimi. And so far we've been introduced to three of these statements of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am the bread of life, revealing the truth that Jesus is the giver and sustainer of both physical and spiritual life. He also said, I am the light of the world, the one who illuminates the darkness and blindness of sin and gives light to those who believe in him. And then also we considered in chapter 8 the truth that Jesus was existent before Abraham. When he says, before Abraham was, I am, the self-existing God. Now in John chapter 10, we're introduced to two more of these distinctive statements of the Lord Jesus derived from the figure of a sheepfold, sheep, and a shepherd. And these were very familiar images to the people of Christ's day. And perhaps even in that crowd that day, there were sheep owners, maybe some shepherds. And from the opening illustration, Jesus derives two truths concerning himself. First of all, that he is the door of the sheep, the only way into the sheepfold. And then he is the good shepherd of the sheep in contrast to thieves and robbers who would try to harm them. And this figure of a shepherd to depict God's care for his people is really an ancient one. We can go back to the Old Testament and there are a number of of scriptures there that define this. For instance, Psalm 80 verse 1, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you that lead Joseph like a flock, you that dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. And then in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. And of course, we know Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So the Lord is the loving, caring shepherd of his people both in the Old Testament and in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who comes and says that I am the good shepherd of the sheep. And from this passage, we too can take comfort today and encouragement because it reminds us of Christ's security and love and sacrifice for his flock. And it also reminds us of the dependent relationship of the sheep toward the shepherd. They hear him, they follow him, and they rely upon him to meet all of their needs. So as we look to this passage this morning, let's ask the Lord's blessing. Our Heavenly Father, again, we're thankful for the many ways that the Lord Jesus described himself that we can understand in human life. Although, Lord, we are not in the same setting 
as uh, that of Judea where he taught these words. But Lord, we can understand uh, what sheep are and what a shepherd is and how this relates to us as your people. We're thankful, Lord, that he is the good shepherd who especially laid down his life for the sheep that we might have life eternal. Bless us, Lord, as we come before your table with these words we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you look at verse 6 this morning, it says Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. That word illustration literally means a figure of speech. And sometimes it was used of a proverb. It also comes very close to the idea of a a parable. So Jesus is using this life-like situation familiar to these people to illustrate the spiritual truth about himself as a shepherd and uh, about his sheep, his spiritual flock. So let's notice a couple of things here as far as the characteristics of the shepherd and the sheep. In the first uh, three verses here, we have a contrast between true and false shepherds. He begins by saying, most assuredly, which is really an unusual way to start a discourse. But what that does, it actually connects us to the previous uh, chapter where Jesus healed the man who was born blind. And in that chapter, we found how obtuse and unbelieving the religious leaders of the day were. They didn't want to accept the words and the testimony of this man born blind. And so this brings them into association with the thieves, the robbers, and the hirelings we find in this parable. He mentions here also a sheepfold, which was a familiar illustration that people would have understood in that day. We don't really see this in the West that much. Uh, We would usually put our sheep in a barn, something of that nature. But over in the East, there are still places where out in the country um, might be a a structure uh, partially built with uh, stones in a loose kind of way, uh, circular or square with a small opening for the sheep to go in, and they would pile up some shrub, maybe some thistles and thorns and uh, things that would make it difficult for an animal or an intruder to come in and try to steal some sheep or actually kill them for food. And also, uh, there would be these uh, sheep folds perhaps in a small village located next to a person's courtyard or within the courtyard and a small wall built around so the shepherd could bring his sheep into that place. In this situation, though, we find that there is a a porter or a doorkeeper. So that indicates to us that there's more than one flock going into this particular fold, and this doorkeeper would uh, tend the flock, watch after them, make sure they stay in the fold overnight. And then in the morning when the shepherd came, uh, those sheep would be released to the shepherd's care. And Jesus is emphasizing that only the true shepherd has the authority to enter the sheepfold and gather his sheep to himself. Someone who tries to get in by another way is called a thief and a robber. The word thief suggests to us trickery and deceit. A robber stresses the idea of violence or force. So their purpose is not really to benefit the sheep, uh, but to harm the sheep in some way. 
In contrast, the one who enters in the legitimate way, the true shepherd, well, the porter, the doorkeeper, is going to allow him to stand near the sheepfold or enter it and begin to call out his particular flock. And no doubt the Lord is alluding here uh, to the robbers and the thieves uh, as the religious leaders of the day who are more interested in fleecing the sheep for their own benefit than guiding them into the truth of Scripture. Now, in verses 3 and 4, we have some of the characteristics of the true shepherd. So let's take a look here at what's said about them. First of all, in verse 3 it says, To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, because he calls them by name. So the shepherd knows the sheep. Uh, He knows them kind of in a very close, intimate way, so much so that he actually gives them a name. And those of you who have had uh, farm animals may do the same type of thing. You may have a name for some of the animals in your care. And there are numerous stories from those who have witnessed this calling out in the Middle East. A shepherd will uh, come to the fold in the morning. He'll stand just outside of it, and he'll begin calling out the names of his sheep. And one by one, they will come in response to his voice. And there's much scripture that affirms uh, this really kind of illustrates uh, the call of God to the believer. And it may illustrate that out of the flock of Israel, uh, Jesus was calling a new flock who would believe in him, who eventually will become the New Testament church. And it consists of those of whom uh, he has eventually called to salvation. So it's kind of an illustration, a picture of the sheep recognizing the shepherd as they hear his voice and he calls them. Then we find in verse 3, he also leads them out. Once the flock is separated from the other sheep in the fold, uh, the the shepherd will take them out to pasture land. And of course, he's going to find uh, good watering places for them so that they can eat and drink and uh, survive without fear, without commotion. And it also says here, uh, they won't follow a stranger in verse 5. They'll flee from a stranger. They don't know the voice of the stranger. So uh, the shepherd, uh, he, he owns the sheep. They're in his care. Uh, they follow him because they know his voice. And all these things are brought out here concerning the shepherd in relationship to his sheep. Um, They're his. They belong to him. They're not going to listen to somebody else. They really depend upon him for their health and safety. And only a foolish shepherd would treat these sheep in a harmful way. And of course, Jesus is portraying himself as a shepherd. And he goes on to define this a little bit more in the following verses. But the true and faithful shepherd calls out his own sheep to follow him and he will direct them in the most prosperous ways of life. So the allusion to the Lord Jesus is pretty clear there. Now let's take a a look at the characteristics of the sheep uh, in this uh, first section as well. And uh, sheep are very dependent animals. Uh, It's said that they do not seem to be very intelligent 
Uh, I don't know that by personal experience, but that's what I read. They do best when they have a shepherd to care for them. And in that light, how then do the sheep respond to the shepherd? Well, we're told here uh, that as he brings them out and he goes before them and he leads them, that the sheep follow him. They follow him because they know his voice. They can discern that voice. So that indicates that they're familiar with the intonation and the sound of their own shepherd, and even to the point where where they can recognize that inflection that's calling them personally. So they know that voice, they respond to it, they're not going to follow a stranger, and actually the voice of someone else calling them is going to frighten them. And again, the relationship of a believer to Christ, the shepherd, is indicated. Once we come to the Lord, we receive the call of salvation, we're going to follow him, we're going to listen to him, we're going to be in his word. That's where we hear his voice, and we get to know him more and more each day. Now, in verse 6, as we mentioned earlier, uh, the people heard this illustration. They heard this truth, but again, very difficult for them to put it together with who Jesus is. Uh, so Jesus goes on to explain to them a little bit further who he is, what relationship he has with his sheep, and he makes application of himself to the sheep. So let's take a look then at these applications of the illustration that Jesus uses to himself. And there are two immediate applications. I'm sure you picked them up as we read. Jesus is both the door of the sheep and the good shepherd of the sheep. So let's first of all look at Christ being the door of the sheep in verse 7. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Okay, so the Lord Jesus is saying here that he is the way by which the sheep enter the fold. And the only way that they can get into the fold is through him. But then he makes the contrast of those who came before him. Apparently other shepherds, ones whom the sheep did not listen to. Now, he can't be going too far back in history where there were prophets bringing the word of God to the people because some of them did listen to the prophets, some of them did hear them, and of course the prophets were not false uh, shepherds. It seems to indicate here uh, that before me would be in the sense that you are out there in the congregation and I'm standing before you and you are out there before me. So we're not talking about something historical. We're talking about something right now that uh, before Christ begins speaking, and even in the congregations that he's speaking to before him, there are people who are false shepherds, who are like thieves and they're like robbers. So he's alluding to the current uh, spiritual leadership or religious leadership that would not believe that he healed a man born blind in the previous chapter. So these are the thieves and robbers that he alludes to, and he reminds us that those who uh, profess to know God, even if they are leaders of the sheep, they have to come in 
by the same way as the sheep. The rulers of Christ's day were showing they were no better than thieves and robbers. They were deceivers. They were violators of the people. They were teaching another way of getting in uh, the fold, so to speak, than the Lord Jesus Christ. To them, the door of salvation, the door of the sheep, was through Moses and the law. And uh, in the way they interpreted things and and had people uh, uh, pay for sacrifices and things of that nature, they were lining their own pockets. So Jesus is stating here that he's the way in. Even if you may be a religious leader, you've got to come through him. He goes on to say in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So he's the door of the sheepfold and reminds us of other figures that Jesus used along this line. We haven't looked there yet, but uh, Jesus says in chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he's defining himself as the way to the Father in that passage. Over in Matthew, you remember that he spoke about uh, the straight gate and the narrow way that leads to life eternal and the fact that he is that way. So one may only enter the fold of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the doorway. And once that happens, once you come through by faith, uh, you're free then to find pasture that nourishes your soul, and he is the shepherd who leads you into that nourishment. And the idea there is that he keeps us safe and secure, well provided for in his word. Now another contrast comes out in verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. So here again, he's alluding to those current religious leaders and what their motivation is in regard to the sheep. Uh, Thieves and robbers do not have good intentions for the sheep. They steal the sheep for their own benefit. Uh, They may kill the sheep for food, and they like to destroy. So again, if you're not teaching the truth about uh, the word of God, then you're deceiving people, and that will lead to their destruction. And so he's using this again as an illustration of what was going on. Back in the Old Testament, the book of Jeremiah, he speaks there of the wicked shepherds uh, that, that fleeced the sheep, that didn't care for the sheep, that, that feathered their own nest, so to speak. And the rulers of Christ's day were out to line their own pockets and secure their own welfare at the expense of the sheep. And unfortunately, as uh, uh, our modern times show us there are people who have the same type of motivation. There are religious charlatans, TV evangelists, prosperity gospel uh, preachers, and scores of others who have this attitude that they can make life pleasant for themselves at the expense of those who follow them. They grow rich and they prosper off the donations of their followers because they don't know any better and they're submitting to the false teaching. But Jesus came to do just the opposite, verse 10b. I have come that they may have life, and that they may have it more 
abundantly. Now, he's not just talking about physical life, is he? Uh, It's true, I think the Christian in this material world has the best life possible, no matter what their uh, financial or material status might be, they still have the best life possible. But he's talking about an abundant life, a life that is not just material in nature, but a life that is spiritual in nature. Uh, Jesus gave his life to those who enter, or gives life to those who enter the fold. Not just life on the common level. He gives us overflowing life, abundant life, uh, the richest life. And those who come through the door of salvation receive true blessings from earthly life because they have found the wellspring of spiritual life. Now, in verses 11 through 16, Christ not only is the door, he is the good shepherd of the sheep. So he's using this to illustrate uh, more than one thing. He is the way to get into the sheepfold. Uh, You have to come through him. But in another sense, he is the good shepherd of the sheep as well. So here's a contrast. Jesus says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd, literally, Uh, I am the shepherd, the good one. And we know the Lord Jesus is intrinsically good. He never committed any sin, not even in his mind. And he's going to treat the sheep in the best possible way as a good shepherd. Now, in verse 11, it goes on to say, uh, the hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. So another contrast here, he's unlike the hireling because the hireling doesn't care for the sheep like the owner of the sheep would care for them. A hireling is somebody who's paid to watch the flock, maybe for a certain period of time during the day. And it's his job. Uh, He's primarily interested in getting payment for that job. And he's really not probably going to do a whole lot more for the sheep than he has to do as uh, an employee, so to speak. So when danger approaches, such as a wild animal like a wolf, he's not going to stick around and take his chances of losing that battle. He'll not try to fend off the approaching wolf because he cares for his own life uh, more than he cares for the life of the sheep. And consequently, uh, the wolf comes in, tears up the flock, scatters the sheep everywhere. So how does the good shepherd then demonstrate his care for the sheep? Well, we, we have a bit of repetition here with what we've already seen. But let's go down through here and see how the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus, cares for the sheep. Again, um, back in verse 4, he, it calls them his own sheep. And then also in verse 12, um, he speaks of one who does not own the sheep. So the good shepherd actually owns the sheep. He possesses the sheep. We all at least should have a, a, a perception, a, con, um, a conception of the of the idea that if you own something, you have a greater tendency to take good care of it than if you don't own something, if you rent something or 
you in some other way use uh, an item. So if you own something, you're going to take care of it uh, better than if you borrowed it or some other thing. The sheep belong to the shepherd. Therefore, he's going to take care of them because they are his possession. He owns them and he will often do so even to the point of self-sacrifice. Now, in verse 14, as also indicated by him calling out the sheep in the previous paragraph, in verse 14 uh, well, let's back up to verse uh, 13. The hireling flees because he's a hireling. He doesn't care about the sheep. But in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I'm known by my own. So he owns the sheep. And because he owns the sheep, he knows those sheep. So how does that suggest care? Well, we know that Jesus is God. We know that he has really known us from eternity past. That everything, every person who comes to him as Savior has been known by God uh, uh, forever. And so that's a good uh, source of encouragement to us. But the more you know about a person or about an item, the more you're going to uh, probably care about it. And the verb that's used here means to have an experiential knowledge of something, an in-depth knowledge of it. By way of illustration, in those days, a good shepherd, uh, at the end of the day, as the sheep are coming into the fold, he takes some time to inspect each one of them to see if they might have some cuts, some bruises. Are they acting normally? Do they appear to have any kind of an illness? And so uh, after that scrutiny, if he sees a problem, perhaps a cut, he will pour some oil on it. Uh, maybe put some grass or something on it, and he will take care of that immediate problem. Uh, And he knows each of the sheep, and he may know uh, particularities about those sheep that he checks on on a daily basis. So the Lord Jesus has intimate knowledge of us. He knows how to take care of each of us personally because of that knowledge. He includes more than the sheep there in this fold, though, which gives us an indication of the future. In verse 16, he says, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So this seems to be an indication that Israel is not the only people he is going to gather out his flock from. He has other sheep not of this fold. That seemed to indicate to us the Gentile people that will come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, And he has, of course, a greater mission that will be accomplished through the apostles. And he's going to bring them into the fold so that there's going to be just one fold. And that indicates the one fold of the church. So the Lord Jesus is not just concerned about Israel and their plight, but the whole world. For God so loved the world, not just the nation of Israel. So the greatest demonstration of his care, however, is not what he does for them and provides for them physically, but what he has provided for them spiritually. We have an indication here in a number of verses that the greatest Uh, act of the good shepherd is that he's willing to lay down his life for the sheep 
If you look at verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Down in verse 15, as the father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Then in verse 17, therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. And in verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. So he's talking about the truth that will come to play uh, in the near future, that he will give up his life for the sheep. He will lay it down voluntarily for those who will come to him. And to give one's life is the ultimate deed that demonstrates self-sacrificing love and care. So this is a voluntary action, not normally expected of a shepherd even. A shepherd might die uh, for his flock if he engaged in a battle with a wild animal. Remember David slew both a lion and a bear, protecting the sheep. Uh, We have the illustration here of a wolf uh, that don't always act alone. They act in packs. So there's the possibility that a shepherd might die protecting the flock. But normally, uh, he wouldn't be doing that because if he died, that would mean disaster for the flock. But in the case of the good shepherd, it's something he has to do. He must do for the sake of the flock because it's a spiritual laying down of life as well as the material. So this is the reason why the father loves the son. He's in perfect harmony with his will and providing the only way of salvation so people can come into this flock and the Lord can be their shepherd. And we notice in the verses 17 and 18 that as he says he has the... uh, that he's going to lay down his life and take it again. In verse 18, he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on myself, so it's willing. And he says, I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. So this is is speaking of the Lord Jesus' right or authority uh, to do this. The word power means that. It means to have authority or have the right to do something. Now, Any of us could voluntarily lay down our life for another person. Many have, especially in time of war or great danger. But such sacrifice, though noble, only extends the physical life of others. Um, I saw a post on Facebook recently that said, Only two people have laid down their life to make you free. Jesus Christ, and an American soldier. I don't think that's a very good comparison. There is an erroneous statement there. In laying down his life, Jesus paid the debt of sin for every human being to make it possible for them to get saved. He provided for them everlasting life. So how can the death even of a soldier who might die to to maintain freedom for our country compared to what the Lord Jesus did. I don't think we should put them in the same context. It's also interesting that he makes it clear nobody takes his life from him. Now, from the human view, it appears 
that Christ's enemies did just that. It seems they had the upper hand at his trial and taking him to Pontius Pilate and the things that Pontius Pilate did. And finally, he ends up on the cross of Calvary. But we know that all of this is in the divine plan and nobody could harm Jesus until his hour had come. He escaped stoning before. He escaped uh, uh, being taken into the the, uh, power of the authorities. But when the time was right, that is when he voluntarily allowed himself to be taken by humanity. But his last words were, he's giving up his spirit to God the Father. Finally, though, the most amazing thing we have here is not only does he have the right to lay it down, the authority to lay it down, he also has the right to take it up again. By the power of God, he would be raised on the third day, demonstrating his power over sin and Satan and death and hell. And so his sacrifice was not going to end in tragedy, but in victory. And we're reminded here that this selfless act of love was in obedience to the commandment of God the Father. God the Father, God the Son, were always in perfect harmony with each other, providing what was necessary for the redemption of humanity. So here we see that Jesus is the door, the way into the kingdom of heaven, the heavenly fold, if you will, And he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep that they might enter in. So let's draw some applications from what we've seen here this morning. First of all, in regard to the good shepherd, as we've said, Jesus Christ is the only way into heaven. He's the only way to God the Father. There are no other means, although people believe that today. And so it's important for us to understand that we need to receive him as our savior. And then did you notice all the things the good shepherd provides for the sheep? Now, these are uh, material illustrations of what he does for us spiritually. Uh, We drink the word of God. We eat, if you will, the word of God. He leads us by his word. He cares deeply for us. He knows all about us. He's able to meet our needs. So that's where the relationship uh, begins, is trusting him as Savior. And then as we uh, go out to pasture with him, we're learning more about who he is and how we can serve him. Of course, the greatest thing that he did was to give his life in our place. That's what we're remembering before his table this morning. And the salvation he supplies allows us to enter the sheepfold where we have the great privilege of Jesus Christ guiding us as our shepherd. Then in regard to the sheep, well, you know, we place a great premium, especially in the West today, on independence, don't we? But the way of the sheep is not independence. It's just the opposite. It's dependence. An attitude that we actually need a shepherd, we need a guide, and that requires our loneliness and our humility. We need to have an attitude that self-sufficiency will not do in the kingdom of God. And sometimes, in order to get the sheep to follow, 
a shepherd would have to take drastic measures, even to the point of breaking a leg to keep the sheep near himself. And let's hope that we don't put ourselves in a position where that kind of thing would need to happen. Do we hear the voice of the shepherd today? Do we listen to him as he speaks to us through the scriptures? Do you obey the voice above the clamor of the world and all it does to entice us away from the shepherd? Many Christians today um, are not where they ought to be because they don't listen to the word of God. They're not even in the word of God. They don't read the word of God and they're just pretty much uh, winging it through life. That doesn't work out if you're supposed to be one of the sheep. And then finally, uh, along the same lines, do you follow the shepherd? There are all kinds of people out there, all kinds of uh, self-proclaiming preachers, all kinds of isms and philosophies in the world that are like thieves and robbers trying to keep us away from his church, away from his word, away from the fellowship of his people. They call you to follow them, but you're supposed to be able to discern the voice of the shepherd from the scriptures and follow him wherever he leads. And we don't do that as a maverick believer. We don't do that as somebody independent who doesn't need a church. We do it uh, because that's exactly what we need. We need the body of Christ to help us follow the shepherd. So to come before the Lord's table, let's be thankful that Jesus is the good shepherd of the sheep. And let's determine to follow him each day as we ought. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we're again thankful for your word today. We're thankful, Lord, for the wisdom of Christ who used uh, illustrations and pictures and figures that we could understand as uh, finite human beings. We're thankful, Lord, today that uh, he is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep and thus became the door to the sheepfold. We're thankful, Lord, that uh, he did not end his ministry to us there, but he continues it even today uh, through his word and through his spirit. Help us, Lord, to be like the faithful sheep who will follow you wherever you uh, lead us, who will uh, teach us through the word and give us much uh, pasture to feed on through it. Lord, bless us as we continue now in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.